something has to have enough critical mass to justify a purchase decision and, and time commitment to get there, right? So if there's not much to do, I'm not going to drive very far to get there unless it's on my way to Mount Rushmore, right? You know, or or wherever I was going. And and that's what people fail to think about sometimes is, oh, what can I do for this amount of money? I don't know if you should do anything, right? It's just does maybe it doesn't make sense, right, to spend money on that. What else are you selling here? Oh, you have you own a campground up the road. Oh, you own a restaurant and you can start, maybe there's a story to weave, how it could all work together. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. This episode is kindly sponsored by Attractions.io, the guest experience platform behind Merlin Entertainment's San Diego Zoos, and the PGA Championships branded mobile apps. And just like us, the team at Attractions.io is on a mission to elevate the guest experience and ensure that they exceed the expectations of today's digitally native guests. By combining a branded mobile app with an operator console that consolidates behavioral data from every touch point in the guest journey, the Attractions.io platform empowers operators with the tools they need to increase guest satisfaction, spending, and loyalty. And to learn more about how Attractions.io can help you connect your end-to-end -end guest experience, visit attractions.io slash how it works. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically, Josh. How are you? I am good. I'm having a surf-tastic day. Oh. <laughs> but I'll... Yeah, exactly. Question for you, though. Yes. On that topic. Have you ever surfed? I've taken a surfing lesson. I can't say that I've surfed. Okay. okay. Did you take that surfing lesson in the ocean? I did. Yes. Took that surfing lesson lesson in the ocean in Hawaii, which I thought, where where would it be more appropriate to take a surfing lesson? <laughs> um, and uh, so what was interesting, I don't know if you want to hear this whole story, but I'm going to tell it. So there was probably 20 people in this surfing lesson with three instructors and we all paddled out to this buoy in the middle of the ocean, not the middle of the ocean, but out a little ways. And then they would line people up. And as, as the waves came up, they would help people, you know, catch the wave and then you pop up and you, you see if you can, how long you can last. So everybody went through that cycle once and then everybody seemed to stay at the buoy. And they kept saying, come on over, take another try. So I kept doing it. I did it like 10 times when other people just stayed over there. I'm like, what are you, you're in a surfing lesson. Why aren't you trying to surf? So my shoulders were so sore after that because of all of this wow. paddling. Um, but it was great. I got to pop up and I, I probably stayed up at the longest three seconds. But that seems like a long time when you're on a surfboard. <laughs> That's that's awesome. Oh, that sounds yeah. like an awesome experience. Yeah, yeah. So yes, have, have you surfed? I have a much shorter answer. Well, I've actually <laughs> not by lack of desire. Uh, 
just it just you know never came across it um, okay. but it has always been something that fascinated me and the reason why i asked you is because of our guest today ray lowenstein he is the director of business development for aquatic development group which they've been in the business of making waves for many many years uh, starting with municipal pools and into wave pools and really into now into the the surf business uh, with their latest product, which is Epic Surf, which uh, allows you to surf without the need for the ocean, which is why I asked if that surfing lesson was in the ocean. Yeah. So what I think is fascinating about this conversation is, yes, the fact that ADG does all these great projects and they build water parks and they, you know, Ray has introduced us to some new terms like water amenities. I had never heard that before. Um, But the fact that Ray started out his his young you know his, his life really around the water right he talked about being around lakes and rivers and streams and you know all of that then grew into this um role that he's in right now in, with business development for a water company or a company that that deals with water a whole heck of a lot um and i just think it's interesting that something that was you know so formidable in someone's childhood can now be used in their in their um, uh, in their career, um, and I think about you know you talking about roller coasters when you were very young, or you know me, you know I was a little older, but still roller coasters became part of uh, my somewhat young uh, adulthood, and um, you know then turning that into a career, and not that it was his career path, but certainly it feels like he's in the right place now. For sure, you can absolutely hear his his passion for. But well, I, I guess for water, but all of the aquatic elements and particularly that everything that ADG does. Uh, and, you know, he shares with us really the the history of the company and uh, kind of how how they got started and uh, how they got into the into the wave pool business. Um, and then what I found really fascinating, too, is and, and this will be very interesting, I think, for uh, for our entire audience, because you might be listening to this say, well, you know, I'm I'm not. I, I'm not at a water park. I'm at I'm at a zoo. I'm at uh, you know something you know something else that uh, that wouldn't necessarily be considered in the water park category. We talk about the water attractions as amenities in various other aspects of attractions of leisure of hospitality uh, that fit in perfectly that help to enhance the business and the guest experience. And when you think about it, water is everywhere. Literally, right? Um, and then when you think about different attractions, like he mentioned RV parks and hotels and resorts, and you know, it's not just about the standalone water park or even the water park that's within a theme park or attached to a theme park. Now you've got water everywhere. And it was really interesting to hear kind of the, that development of those attractions and to hear his take on what's appropriate for different places, right? What's the what's the ROI of putting in a, what do you call it? A, a, a splash ground, yeah. I think is what, a, a spray ground. Yeah. Cause I remember it, it rhymed with playground. <laughs> anyway, so a spray ground. So what's the, what's the ROI in that? What's the, what's the business case to be made? Um, and sometimes he said, that's, that's a little hard to measure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then we also talk about their product, Epic Surf, and how it really 
allows basically a, a simulated surfing environment. It is surfing without the ocean. And there's the the training aspect of it where you can enhance your skills. And uh, surfing is now an Olympic sport. So we'll probably see a lot more interest in surfing. Not that there hasn't been any interest at all for the last, you know, I mean, when, when were the Beach Boys popular? The 60s? <laughs> but being able to now, I would say, blend that into the attractions industry. Personally, I make the, the comparison to like escape rooms or even axe throwing where now you've got this opportunity opportunity to kind of have the the competitive socialized environment. I think calling it social surfing is probably what it's going to end up being. And if it does, you heard it here first, unless someone else has said it before. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so are you suggesting that maybe we should have surfing and axe throwing as a combined activity? Yes. Yes. On go-karts. Yes. <laughs> go-kart. <laughs> nice. But nice. I think for now, we should paddle out into this interview with Ray Lowenstein. Let's make a splash. Hey, Ray, welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast. We are very excited for our conversation today. How are you? I'm well, Josh, Matt, thank you for having me. I'm excited as well. So it's going to be a great uh, 40 minutes or so. Can't wait. Awesome. Excellent. So let's just jump right into it. Ray, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us about uh, your history in the industry as well. Sure. Uh, well, I'm uh, currently business development director of business development for Aquatic Development Group, and we're a design build contractor in the water park and water amenity space, as well as a original equipment manufacturer uh, in both uh, water park uh, componentry, which we'll talk a little bit more what that means later, and also the mountain coaster alpine slide world. So. Um, I've been in this role for a couple of years, but I've been with ADG for 15 years. And that's how I got started uh, was just as a business development manager. Uh, prior to ADG, I had a number of uh, jobs that were kind of in the sport leisure business. Uh, I managed a couple of health clubs actually in the Boston area when I was much younger. Um, I worked for a baseball focused training franchise, developing franchise. So they, while not leisure, certainly, well, yes, leisure and some entertainment components, um, kind of been in that health fitness world for a while. And then when I moved to Albany area with my wife, oh, 17 years ago or so, um, I just happened to know someone through my sister who worked at ADG. And uh, that's how I came to know about this company, which frankly, a lot of people don't know about us locally because we don't do many projects around us. So, um, you know, my, my background was, uh, I just grew up in upstate New York and folks would go on vacations like most, you know, middle-class families. And we'd go to the Jersey shore or Long Island, Long Island or Rhode Island and spend a lot of time in the water, boogie boarding or body surfing. And I was always, I always liked water. So I'm not surprised I ended up here. Um, in this space growing up as a kid we had a, a river and a creek you know so you're always going down there looking for crawfish or snakes or you know there's a railroad and there's a railroad trestle and the next thing you know you're jumping off something and um, that's just kind of how I grew up so uh, yeah my background was pretty varied I was educated in the northeast went to grad school in the steep south so I got some nice cultural differences there and um, along the way just uh, you know did a number of things, but I think this is the great fit for me. 
this industry. Awesome. Thank you, Ray, for that uh, that kickoff. And a couple of uh, follow-up questions. I'll just start with one. So you mentioned that, you know, growing up, you were kind of always around water. You had the creek, you had the river, you were jumping off of stuff. How do you think that that kind of growing up experience now helps you now that you're you're dealing with water all the time? Yeah, I, I appreciate the, the draw of water and moving water. Um, I'm also glad that my mother forced my sisters and I to go to Kurt Beyer pool for swim lessons when it was freezing cold in the summers in upstate New York, because learning how to swim is really so important to enjoying water. And unfortunately not enough children do know how to swim, but, um, you know, I, I'd have to say that, uh, I, I appreciate what it means. Uh, I understand why people are drawn to it. Uh, I understand the dangers of it and the power of it. It's very powerful. So you have to have healthy respect for water. And um, that, I think, helps me in, in the role I have. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit a little bit more about Aquatic Development Group. I know the uh, the company has a, a great history and great specialization. So I know you uh, you talked about it uh, briefly there, but love to go even deeper into ADG. Yeah, it's quite a, a, quite a company in a lot of ways. So many times people who have been in the industry forever and they think they know who you are, you might have a deeper conversation or maybe they come visit and their heads are spinning. Like, I didn't realize all these things happen. And so uh, it's a deep family-owned company, very strong heritage in the construction side of things from really the late 50s and 60s where ADG at its root was a pool builder, a commercial pool builder. And in those eras, municipal pools, collegiate pools, high school pools, they were big rectangles, deep water. So our company was really one of the bigger uh, builders of those big pools up and down the eastern seaboard from Maine to say Virginia, right? And um, had an entrepreneurial owner, Herb Ellis, who uh, at some point or another saw some trends in Europe, went to Europe, looked around at, this, at the leisure water business and said, I got to be in this wave, get in on this wave action. And so we started building big wave pools because a bit, it's a big body of water and we, we could build. And that really led to sort of all the events and um, evolutions of ADG to, to get into the recreational water. We, we don't go around building 50 meter pools anymore. We're all focused on creative water and, um, and things. So water parks, I would say that, you know, the, the turning into a construction company was also a manufacturer was really what would turn the corner for ADG being able to control your own destiny in some ways, manufacture products that you couldn't, thought you couldn't buy in the open market that met your need. So you invented something to create and fabricate uh, was really a, a, a way to advance our ability to, to move quicker. And quick quickness in construction is very valuable um, and also gave us flexibility in solving problems before we even knew what the solution was we, we know we can do something, so we've innovated. The company has so much innovation that is um, in not just waves, but in how, how we approach projects, handled uh, managing sites that, uh, you know, it, it's it's pretty remarkable that 50 years later, you know, everyone else benefits from all those things, half of which, well, more, way more than half of which happened before I was even here, but it is certainly innovation 
big taking risk, some risks is definitely in our heritage and it's led to interesting things happen along the way that benefited our clients. Did they always work perfectly? No, but that's your, you know, that's that's when your name and your honor steps up and says, all right, we'll make it right, fix that. And now we know for next time. So it is kind of a company that's not afraid of taking a challenge on for sure. Ray, what was it, if you know the the kind of the, the history of the wave and the wave action and the wave pool that was such a draw that Herb said, I got to do this. This is, this is going to be, you know, so, um, so much a part of the water park industry going forward. Yeah, I think it's um, for people who are entrepreneurs and successful and they, they don't stay still, they see the future and um, you could say rectangles and L-shaped pools were, not the future, they were getting more commoditized, more people were doing it, more people were making the equipment. So he was always looking for something unique that could uh, increase the value of the pool for the owner and make, you know, working with ADG a bit more of, uh, you know, I guess, hey, these are the experts, this is a niche. So I, I know that there were uh, several trips that he took Maybe he took his son Ken and family on when he went to Europe. Neil, some of the center parks and those kinds of things were a little bit more ahead of what we were doing here, certainly on the indoor side. So he, he's never, he's just kind of, yeah, some people have a vision and they want to grow their business and they don't, they won't stand still because when you do, you fade away. So I think it's a combination of seeing what the rest of the world's doing and just being, you know, intelligent at business and, and going for it. In some cases, you know, he bought a movable pool floor company. Got we acquired Witten Products, which was commercial pool equipment. Uh, WaveTech was an acquisition back in the in the eighties. Just a few other small ones in there. So he, he he would go out and look for look for opportunities, purchase, or if we couldn't purchase, we'd develop something ourselves. So that's been the heritage uh, across the board. So my next question here. Is coming from someone who's not very tech savvy or, or kind of from, you know, from the manufacturing process or even I would say very, very pool savvy, but to go from the, the municipal rectangle style pool to now something that has waves being manufactured inside of it, is that a giant leap? Does that completely change the entire construction of, of how the, the pool is built? I'm, I'm not even totally sure how waves are made now that I think about it, but I, I gotta imagine there's a lot more to it than, than, the previous yeah you missed so you missed, yeah <laughs> i think the the thing always was what especially with a wave pool because there was wave pools started getting built by municipalities now that, that was the venue water park was a wave pool. you know maybe it had a slide but could just be the big wave pool like allegheny county in, in western pa pittsburgh built three massive wave pools that are all identical back in the 70s at three of their county parks and, and they're huge parks so if you go there today they're still there and that's all it is it's a wave pool now, those days are kind of over but those are the kind of pools we were building and we're talking about developing filtration the bather loads were going to be higher in a wave pool than a 50 meter pool just more people would be in them so we had to develop ways to, to increase filtration cost effectively and uh, that that that's in how you distribute the water. That's in how you filter the water. Uh, so those kinds of things started to emerge. 
we were in the middle of and trying to push the envelope. And Herb will always say, you know, the guest isn't, doesn't care about mechanical room, right? So let's find ways to make that as efficient as possible, do the job properly, put the money in the entertainment, nicer waves, better deck area. And so um, as that starts to evolve, then you start to hear feedback. Well, my deck area isn't big enough. Geez, I wish we had uh, more places to sit. Oh, we don't really have a decent snack bar. We have all these people and it's too far away. So I'll, that kind of stuff starts rolling back to you that you then impart on your next project, even though you're the pool builder, all of a sudden you become more than that. You become the expert in the venue. And so all of our projects are about everything but the water features first. You say, look, Matt, Josh, I know you're excited. You want to open Matt and Josh's water park. Let's agree that you're going to have water slides, rivers, and waves. Let's agree to that. Okay, we do. Let's put that to the side. Let's put it on hold. Let's talk about the business. How does it work? What's the site? Who's our target audience? What's your brand? You know, what's our budget, etc. And we can start developing a path towards um, a good program that would lead to the right project. And then at a certain time, we go back and revisit the fun stuff. So it all started with like wave pool decks. Now it's it's everything inside the fence of water park that we we focus on and get involved with, although we don't necessarily take those things to the final step. You know, we're not the architect designer of the kitchen, but we we know how big the building might want to be and how much room to put in front of it for the queue line and does it fit with our utility plan that's trunking itself through this 25 acres? And there's a million little things mm -hmm. besides the water. So, yeah, I don't know if I really answered your question as much as I kind of rambled into something bigger, <laughs> but I think I answered it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and really just interesting kind of to learn about going from like swimming pool to wave pool. Now, yeah, there's the structure of the pool, but then there's the peripheral kind of halo effect of everything around it is changing because of the way that it's being used. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. You've got lifeguarding. You've got just queuing people up in, in the ins and outs of the pool, uh, water quality, water chemistry, um, and of course, the actual wave making, different types of waves that can be made um, for you, for your guests and program programmability and how you operate it. So, yeah, it all had to start somewhere. But nobody knew what they were doing, and so it just worked itself out, right? <laughs> It still is, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, Ray, before we started recording, you were mentioning how many different types of facilities, you know, that ADG has worked with and, you know, incorporated water, some sort of water feature, water, water amenities, I think was one of the words you used. Um, yes. You know, in zoos, aquariums, you know, places where you wouldn't necessarily think of a water park company being, and that's what makes you more than a water park company. So I'm curious if you could kind of walk us through some of those things that, you know, might be outside of the realm of someone thinking about a standalone water park or even a water park within a theme park, you know, so, so many other different facets that you guys get to work with. Well, certainly right now, something that won't surprise you most likely is that, you know, RV resorts are smoking hot in um, a lot of ways. And so there's a lot of investment in amenities. And one of those key things are water features, pools, 
play structures, water slide complexes, rivers. So you're seeing a certain, you know, minimum requirement to really be a good or up above average RV park. So we have four RV resort projects contracted right now. Before I started, when I've been here 15 years, I don't think we ever had one until like two years ago. So that's hot as heck. Um, and I would say also, you know, just resorts, any, anybody who's in the business of real estate, selling, selling beds, selling, um, you know, some kind of a retail dining entertainment, live here, stay here, work here, RD&E, that's, that's growing. Uh, certainly there's a lot of buzz around the big surf lagoon markets out there. And while they're very expensive to do it, uh, so they won't pop up as quickly as say water parks did, they are happening and they will grow. And that's a big real estate uh, play as much as anything else for some of them. Um, we see, like I said, uh, zoos and aquariums are looking for ways to keep you there a day longer or another few hours, increase your per cap spending. That may lead to somebody just literally getting their toes, your foot, your feet wet by putting in an interactive spray ground experience, which can be small or very elaborate, as you know. And then anything up to uh, 450,000 annual attendance, full-size regional water park, which happens, that's Zumbezi Bay at Columbus Zoo. Uh, indoor water parks at resorts, very, it's pretty hot right now. There's a lot of development going on there. So water continues to be a draw. Um, and and it's, it's certainly on touching on all these leisure destinations. Um, you see even like lakefront, Lake of the Ozarks or the Bransons of the world, Mar marine bars at marinas. Some of them are building pools, right? Why they have a lake? Well, it's because why they're building a pool. Not everyone wants to be in a lake, or it's just not. You got to manage it. How are you going to staff it? It gets crazy. It's you know, it's got yucky stuff in it. Whatever. So pools are popping up all over the place in football stadiums, in minor league baseball. Just everyone loves water, so people are using it to market to keep you there longer, to sell you on why you should buy here. And half the time it's, that's, that's all it is. is like, I want to sell something. Give me something that looks great when they drive up for their tour. <laughs> so I think you asked like, what do you, one of your questions was, you know, uh, we always ask, what do you hope to accomplish? Um, they don't usually know, but you have to drill down. If all you do you care about selling real estate or the guest experience? Well, I care about both, but really want to sell real estate. So that means I care a little less about the experience. Right. So then you have to determine how to deal with that client. So it's it's all about your goals and then getting you to understand, verbalize what are your goals? Do you even realize what it could do for you? In mm -hmm. some cases, no, they aren't that experienced with water. They don't realize what it could do for their hotel, resort, that venue, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Can we drill down a little deeper here too, particularly into, let's say, the, the ROI of investing in water attractions and 
for the sake of the question, outside of water parks. So really all those all those other venues that we talked about, zoo, aquarium, hotel resorts, RV parks, just all of those. Um, can you talk about like, uh, you know, imp, uh, uh, putting in like the spray pool, something like that. Uh, how do you measure, I would say, what the what the return on that investment would be? You talked about kind of increasing per capita spend. You talked about increasing length of stay. Uh, I imagine some of it probably is increasing marketability of it as well. But as far as being able to to really uh, measure why it's a sound investment when it might not be their their core offering. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. There's not a clean answer to it, like most things. Um, it, it is used to run into this in. Um, I don't want to identify the market, but it was a certain market of the leisure business that really struggled with understanding the business model of water parks. Yet they were interested in it, and they had their own business model that I would argue is you have to be even more insane to be in it than on a water park that's only open 90 days and subject to rainouts, right? So they would say, well, what about a splash pad? What if I put a splash pad in? How do, what's the ROI on that? And, and there really isn't one. It's not a chargeable thing, right? It, it, it has to be part of, in that case, it's, is it doing more to enhance the brand you already have? Is it talking to some people that you don't already talk to very well or appeal to very well? and keep them a little longer, uh, get them coming back, get them to consider renting a condo nearby because there's just a little bit more to do. And that's a little of this, a little of that. And, and so it is very difficult to ROI something that is not charged. It's just part of a experience uh, versus a, a, a gated attraction. But um, you, when you talk to like a um, standalone water park, you know, it's just something has to have enough critical mass to justify a purchase decision and, and time commitment to get there, right? So if there's not much to do, I'm not going to drive very far to get there unless it's on my way to Mount Rushmore, right? You know, or or wherever I was going. And and that's what people fail to think about sometimes is, oh, what can I do for this amount of money? I don't know if you should do anything, right? It's just, does maybe it doesn't make sense, right, to spend money on that. What else are you selling here? Oh, you have, you own a campground up the road. Oh, you own a restaurant and you can start, maybe there's a story to weave, how it can all work together. Maybe it still doesn't pencil out. Um, so it, there's a lot of that to our job, right? And we're not a feasibility consultant, but we certainly know things you got to think about to start building the story of a successful business. Um, so you say, well, what would be an ROI? Something that you could charge for, maybe. You know, how big do you have to build it to then get the money back? And if you want to ROI it, so um, that that that's a tough one. There are some things like you know our Epic Surf Deepwater True Surfing Wave that you can sort of bake a model around it. It's going to have a, a bar, a grill, spectators, entertainment, wave revenue, and you can start running a pro forma on just that and you know, start seeing how that business would flush out relative to your real estate values and all that. But some other attractions, not as easy. I mean, I've had conversations. If you did a wave pool and a play structure, could I make money? I don't know. But you, let's start studying. <laughs> where, where are you? What else is around you? Oh, you're right next to a water park. Mm, I think you're going to struggle to appeal to too many people if all you have are these two things. You know, so... <laughs> um, 
But if it's a part of something where it's rounding out the experience, then it's got a different dialogue, you know, mm -hmm. and you can start making assumptions that we captured more, more hours, more, more spend, a higher income client who will spend a little more money to be here and raise my rates, you know, might trigger overnights in my hotel. Yeah, there's, there's some of that in like every conversation. Yeah. And if, yeah. The, the other interesting thing in talking to like resorts, uh, man, asset managers, everyone thinks, oh, how, how little can I spend? Not everyone thinks that. There's a certain point where a good asset manager or resort will say, how much do I need to spend to move the needle? Mm -hmm. I've seen 5 million. Eh, mm, that's not going to move the needle. 11, because you, you were doing this and this, I think that could work. They, and they'll crunch their numbers that way. See, you can't be afraid to show someone something that's bigger than what they first came to you for when when the factors are all there. They have enough rooms. They're in a competitive market. You know, they've got food and beverage opportunities. Then you can start saying, all right, do we try to show them something bigger? Others, you know, it just won't work. You can't go there. Yeah. So it's a little bit of business analysis, mm. yes. And I would also imagine a, a bit of a moving target based on, like you said, how much money they have to invest, how much time they have, what they're, you know, all those other parameters um, that would really determine, you know, what that ultimate ROI would be, even if it's something that they, it's it's more intrinsic than it is, you know, hard cash. Yeah, it, it, it man, it totally gets into the nitty gritty of, of the operations and what's going on today in any given client's business. Here's just a quick example. So if you're going to have a meeting with a resort about doing a water area, you really should pull like every department stakeholder in. Hmm. Not, you know, every every department stakeholder, key stakeholder. Because they all are gonna have um, something good to say and they may end up using it or serving it, servicing it for another group to make it work. So you could say, uh, do, you wanna, do you wanna sell the pool area to your groups? as a buyout but we okay yes um but i don't but i already do buyouts over here that are really good i don't want to cannibalize that business so you start learning okay so you want to do something that gets you a second buyout with the group instead of them leaving your property and getting on buses and going across town to the rodeo right so Okay, well, how how big does that area need to be? How quick does it have to get get set up? And you, you start drilling into all these, it affects your design and and all of that stuff. So um, you, you really do need to peel the proverbial layers of the onion back and and, and create solutions for problems that don't exist yet, <laughs> but they will exist once they decide to open and can't flip the space for 400 people quick enough because the tables are stored football field away around, you know, up and over a parking garage. Mm. Oh, shoot. You missed that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's so fascinating. I would love to uh, transition topics a little bit because you did mention uh, briefly Epic Surf a little bit ago. So would love to talk about, we talked about uh, making waves. Now let's talk about surfing those waves and how ADG was able to get into the surf business. Yeah, no, thanks. That's been quite a, uh, a ride, if you will, for us in the last couple of years developing that. We 
our wave industry, you know, look, um, well before my time, we were involved in some of the early surf pool developments. One that you may have heard of, uh, Festival Bay Orlando was a big project. And in fact, a test pool was built and that was with our wave tech equipment. And that was, I guess, in the early 2000s. It's right off iDrive. It's since that. So I would say that project maybe and some of it were a little bit ahead of its time in terms of viability for the industry but um it's always been that holy grail of creating a surfing you know something you could repeat over and over again and make it viable and cost effective so this we, we were making waves in recreational wave pools where they had pro surfing contests palm springs california uh, palm desert there where uh Surflock is now doing their their actual Surflock pool was was a recreational wave pool that had surfing. So we've we've always been making big pneumatic waves for a long time. Of course, we had license and really got license from Tom Lochtefeld, the Flowrider, back in the early two thousands. We 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 developed that into a viable product and made made it more of a mass market. But that truly was not a real surf rider. It's a thin sheet of wave sheet wave couple inches people want their board with fins so in 2019 or so we we kind of put through started work on building something we've been working on and thinking of for many years which was the ability to make a deep water wave in a small footprint that everybody could get on and that was what became epic surf so um we're essentially creating through hydraulic jump phenomenon, which you see in rivers, um, an adjustable wave of anywhere from uh, three feet to five, five and a half feet of water depth. That's continuous that you can get on from the sides very easily, learn, learn to surf or work on developing your skills. And what we've done here is built one in our parking lot, full size, and hundreds of people come through all abilities and disabilities and proven that it it's 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 um it's, it's a it, the appeal is very mass right it, it is not unattainable for virtually anyone when it's engineered right and the waves can be controlled and so now we're we're taking it out to market and uh, working on getting them out there for the general public so is it because it's deep water that you can use, and you said it's like between three and five feet of a wave, you can actually use a real surfboard with the fins and, and that? Type yes, of exactly. You, you need that depth of water to allow the fins to just get the bite and to carve and turn and, and use power and uh, not bottom out the board, right? And um, it's it's only way to do that is, is with certain depth of water. So you and the fin, the fin is in, and that's the name of the game. Um, the size of the board is, you don't need a really long board in any stationary wave like this. So most people do using something from, you know, five, between five and six feet. And a lot of um, bigger adults out in the ocean will use, usually use something bigger. They don't need it in a small wave like this. Mm -hmm. So other than that, it's, it's, it's game on for um, using a surfboard. Cool. Absolutely. And you can bodyboard and, um, you know, kneeboard, uh, do any kind of board you want. You don't have to use fins. And we had some really good uh, wake surfers out here who were um, Jake Caster's one. He's 
on the pro circuit, wake surfer. It's amazing what he can do without a fin in a, in a deep water wave. So uh, we, we learned a lot about different abilities out there. River surfers, um, they're all over the place, right? They're tucked in Ohio, Colorado, Washington State, Ottawa, Virginia, West Virginia. Anywhere people can find a wave, they will get it. And so <laughs> through social media, we were getting bombarded with people hearing about it and wanting to come try it. Yeah, we're going to get in our van this weekend. Are you open? No. We'll let you know when we're having an event. We're not open to the public. So we had a lot of that, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I think ultimately what we learned is small footprint wave just creates this intimacy and camaraderie that doesn't exist in the ocean. And the whole agro surf thing doesn't exist because once you fall, you get back in line and catch your next wave right away. And it's not the ocean, but it certainly offers some real advantages to catching waves that you can't get in the ocean. So, so who is this for? Is it is it for surfers or is it people who have a, a curiosity in surfing or people who want the experience but aren't ready to, to actually go in the ocean? You said it's, you know, it's... Yeah. it's almost everyone so is that is that what it's, it's um we we think it's for um people who are in, you know just interested in active lifestyle and so there's sort of the tyranny of the coast with surfing if you don't live on a coast then access to waves is certainly much more difficult um and there's a lot of people who aspire to try it and aspire to the lifestyle but just can't get there so we feel like once there's more stationary waves, the, the benefits of the, the wellness, health, health and fitness, the adaptive, be so many people taking advantage of being on a wave and the rhythm and skill mastery, and even some of the relaxation that comes with your carving turns repeatedly is, is just going to take off because no one's ever had access to it. So uh, it's a little bit different than, Oh, I'm, I'm into the spin. I, I take spinning class or I go out and ride my bike. Um, it, it's more about this appeal of lifestyle with being around moving water, health and fitness and the skill mastery, all in this sort of interesting orb of attraction that people get hooked. So we, my daughter, my older daughter, you know, we, we encouraged her to surf. We, Went on surfing vacations with my kids. Um, gave her a lot long leash at the Jersey Shore to spend all the time she wanted to down at the surf beach. And when she came up uh, to Epic Surf, she didn't she didn't want to leave. It's like all day. They just so it, it translates. You like being on a board. You like the feeling of being around people doing that. It it's it's a great synergy. It really is. So I've just got to ask, I took a, a surfing lesson one time. It was actually in Hawaii because I really wanted to try it, you know, the whole nine yards. And the hardest part, I think, is getting up on the board, like in your, in the, in the at least for me, it was like getting up on the board. So is it easier in Epic Surf or is it just, or you, you tell me. Like, what, I, well, no, I would agree with you. Popping up and timing is a great skill to learn. And you can only do that in the ocean, at least the timing piece. So that's never going to go away. And uh, but just learning how to stand up and balance yourself in moving water. Epic Surf, we have training bars that are retractable. You can literally sit on the side of Epic Surf. 
hold on to a bar, stand up, and, and really just allow yourself to get the feel for what it's like to be in the water, get your balance. We also want you to fall. So you, you get that out of the way and just, just fall and see how that, that feels and then get up and do it again. And it should take three or four times for the average person to be able to let go of the bar and then stand. And then from there, they can evolve. So it, it is much easier and quicker to learn how to balance yourself on, on a board on epic surf and a stationary wave than it is the ocean just there's no um you can't replace all those repetitions you know what it's like paddle out mm -hmm. you're tired from that right if you're not in paddling shape and you gotta get on your board time the wave right get coordinated enough to pop up and hit it right that is so difficult right and that's really what they try to do in any beginner surf lesson is just give you one time where you popped up and rode for more than two seconds and you're like, done, I'm surfing. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. So um, this, this takes that away and it gives you a much faster path to some level of competency um, that you hope, hopefully will translate to confidence in the ocean. So when you look at really how this fits in with kind of the, the greater attraction mix that we have, you know, the term competitive socializing has been really popular yeah. over the last few years. And, you know, when I think about uh, like everything you're talking about with Epic Surf and then comparing it to something like top golf or axe throwing or an escape room, obviously a very different experience, but giving people the opportunity, maybe a, a group of people to come and try this together. So in addition to the surf aspect out of, of it, the, the health and fitness aspect of it, there's the, there's the social competitiveness of it as well, which I imagine then leads to repeatability. Yes. I think Josh's great observation. I think that's a big category that developers are looking at is, um, as you say, uh, competitive, um, so social competition and entertainment, e whatever you want to call it, top golf, uh, home run dugout, uh, chicken and pickle. Yeah. And so the business models we're seeing, a lot of them are surf is my anchor. Um, and I, I'm layering it with the social piece. I want people to maybe they got some golf simulators up in bays, but they have food and beverage, video, uh, some looking at gamification, just the social aspect as well as the training aspect is, is where this is at. Clearly there's a little bit more commitment in that you have to get in, in your bathing suit or your wetsuit and on the surfboard and do that versus golf where you just step up and, you know, whack it or, or doesn't matter if you slice it or crush it, nobody cares. Um, but it's the same on well, the same idea here. You know, it's, it's an Olympic sport now. Right, surfing. So, ISA, International Surfing Association, the number of national governing bodies has exploded. So, virtually every country out there that has an Olympic presence of some level has established an ISA um, affiliate in their country to develop the sport. So, as that grows, I think um, more and more opportunities for people to develop a venue. That doesn't that pays for itself, but also acts as a training ground, is is kind of a, a neat thing in for a lot of countries that aren't heavily funded for Olympic sports, because right? 
it cost a heck of a lot of money to build a man-made whitewater course, train the future Olympic paddlers and kayakers. That's not paying for itself, right? It's hard to pay for it. And so um, small footprint wave versus a giant wave, wave lagoon at 40 million is more attainable for a small country that is landlocked that wants to develop surfing. And so there's that going on. Layer that with some social piece. Oh, it's fun to be here. Got now I'm attracting youth. And who are the youth? They're the future Olympian from landlocked country that's going to surf in, you know, in Fiji next year or whatever. So there's a lot of pathways to look at that something like Epic could be a good fit for. Ray, I'd like to um, switch gears here just for a little bit, because um, before we started recording, you were also talking about some of the things that ADG does that are not necessarily water-based, like mountain coasters and, and that type of thing. So can you uh, kind of walk us through how that came about? Yeah, sure. So uh, the owner of our company, um, Ken Ellis, who's Herb El founder Herb Ellis' son, um, Ken got into the ownership business in the around 2005 or him and his college roommate um, through one thing or another ended up acquiring Camelback Mountain Resort in the Poconos. At the time it was a summer summer water park which is how Ken knew of it because ADG had built their, their water park and it was a you know an hour from New York City ski mountain with night skiing in the, in the Poconos. And that's where his college roommate Art was from, Art Berry. So they they're like, oh, it'd be great to build an indoor water park at Camelback. Maybe we could negotiate a lease. Long story short was they ended up purchasing Camelback. Okay. Big plans, build a hotel water park. Then 2008 came along. That went on the shelf. In the meantime, they said, we can do small projects. Let's build an adventure park. So zip lines, um, uh, some... But what else, what do they do? What do they have? Their ropes course, those kinds of things. So that, that started to get really popular. And then what's going on around us? I think we need a mountain coaster. So they looked around and there's one, at the time there was two two options. One international company that's done dozens of rides, hundreds of rides. And there was Stig Albertson from Vermont, who was the Alpine slide guy right, who had done his first mountain coaster up in New Hampshire. And they were, they, they were talking to Stig. They were valued, made in the USA, liked him. Stig was getting up to what most people would consider retirement age for sure. And, um, you know, they, he made his pitch to, to do Camelback's mountain coaster. And Ken and Art were like, we love it, but we're going to delay it for a year. We got a big water slide project. We're going to do it at the water park. And so the legend has it that Stig said, okay, so you're not going to buy my coaster. He took the proposal, put it in his bag, reached down, pulled out another envelope, the proposal on it and say, why don't you buy my company? Ken's like, are you serious? He goes, yeah, you, you know, you, you're in the business. You have a, you build things. You, you have a factory makes perfect sense for your company. Next thing, lo and behold, uh, we acquired the, uh, the, I guess the uh, rights to Alpine products. And with that came mountain coaster technology and the Alpine slide. That was in like 2010 or 11. And um, since then we, we did Camelback's project and we've done about a dozen other mountain coasters and 
a lot of alpine slide uh, work too. So it was a opportunistic way for a guy to retire <laughs> business. But, uh, you know, credit him. Uh, so we've had that business. Uh, we attend trade shows. Uh, we've got its own little sub-brand, ADG Mountainsides. Mountain coasters have really exploded. See a lot of them in Pigeon Forge and Branson and ski areas. I think you know what they are. They're mm -hmm. they're, they're pretty uh, family-friendly. Two people can get in them up in nature a little bit. So uh, it's not aquatics, but it's certainly in the entertainment space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That is such a fascinating story. Thanks so much for uh, for sharing that with us. So we're uh, starting to wind this down here, but uh, we we do want to know. We'd love to hear what you see as being you know the the future of waves, the the future of water parks. Well, it's a great question. Um, there's a lot of buzz around surfing, right? So there's there's a lot of those projects happening, or at least the announcement of that. But at, at its core. You know, the bulk of wave systems out there are, are recreational in nature. And we do see this just continued desire to have more opportunities at water parks for different wave experiences, whether they're rethinking your, your top pools to have little waves. Because, look, how many times you've been to the beach and you've seen six-month-old or one-year-old with grandma or grandpa right in that little break zone? just playing in the water and then maybe an older child a little bit deeper with a parent. So waves in water parks isn't going away. Waves in rivers continues to evolve from things that are recreational to almost sporting in nature. So I feel like that is going to continue to grow around the world. People like moving water, like animated water. And um, what, what may be more important is just how develop what's around them to maximize that feeling of being at the beach in the ocean um on the surf side i think that what you'll see is an evolution to try to drive efficiency try to drive a more smaller footprint surfable wave pools that maybe can cross over between recreational and uh actual surfing to allow developers to have a little more flexibility in how they monetize it but also to maybe look at some of the investments they're making and, and downsize them because not every project is going to be able to sustain a something where that just the pool and the equipment alone costs 40 million, right? From 30 million. That's a big investment that you have to really then spend two, three, four times that around the edges to mm. make the venue. So that, that starts to define itself pretty narrowly about who, what, where. So I think, as everyone evolves, we're going to have smaller footprint waves that either are dedicated for surfing or they could maybe play both sides of the fence, recreational and and um, actual surfing. Um, beyond that, I, you know, I couldn't tell you, but I think it's never going to not be popular. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah, Ray, this has been a, a great conversation. And as soon as Josh and I get our, our eggs in a in a basket, our ducks in a row, whatever it's called, uh, to open our water park, we're definitely going to call you. Um, but until then, uh, awesome. if, somebody, if somebody wanted to reach out to you or learn more about ADG, where would you send them? Well, we have a great website, um, aquaticgroup.com, where you can see everything we do. And there's a contact us form there. Um, I'm very accessible on LinkedIn as well. And um, I've got AD, at ADG Ray for Instagram, which is uh, my 
water park handle. So you got a number of ways you can get me for sure. Appreciate that. And then this was, uh, appreciate your questions. A lot of them thought provoking and uh, some, some good insight from both you and Josh. So thank you, Matt. Well, appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you. We, uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Um, everything that, that you just said there, we'll, uh, we'll pull that. We'll make sure that those are in the show notes so people are able to, to get to those easily. So, uh, Ray, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. And for everyone out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.